0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video podcast with Sam and Dan. I'm Dan Martin, very tired special effects artist and weary podcast man, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host Sam Ashurst. And I am uh, an exhausted director
1: and uh, and I do podcasts as well, mainly this one.
0: <laughs> what are we talking about this week, Sam? Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Very exciting. Had you seen it before? Uh, I had. Yeah. How about you? No, this is my first watch. Oh, how did you feel? Um, I liked it. I really liked it. It's um, it was an interesting one because I had sort of managed not to really know that much about it ahead of time. Okay. So it was quite new. Um, in fact, one of the only things I knew about it is an internet rumor uh, about an earlier cut that we'll get to later once we've talked about the film. I guess. Nice. But um, yeah, it was. It's really good. It's got a lot of the stuff I love in it. Um, it's quite bleak. <laughs>
1: Very
0: bleak. Uh, it's about a man who can't steer away from self destruction. You know, like he's trying to better himself. He sees this chance to get out of the 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 situation. Where, you know what his life's become, and uh, and he's trying to take that chance, and just bullshit follows him everywhere. You know, look watching the extra features and, and reading up about it, a lot of people talk about how autobiographical it was. You know, it's the the last movie Peckinpah made before he sort of started to slide. and um, I, I think he was already sliding. Yeah, although apparently he was introduced to cocaine on this film. Yeah. Which is a, a, well, an exciting. I guess that's a lubricant on the slide, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, it? It was it? prescription meds before that, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, well, this brings me to my main contribution to this podcast this week, um, which is I'm going to read out a letterbox review <laughs> that someone else wrote. And uh, yeah, you know, in in, in the modern age, um, when when I watch a film now, especially a film that I've seen before, I do like to go onto a Letterbox and and have a little look at what other people have to say about it. And so I'm going to read out this review. It's quite long, <laughs> but it, it is worth it. Okay, so the review is by Sam, not me, as you'll see, um, <laughs> and and it's four stars. Okay, so is that out of five or out of ten on
0: that book? It's out
1: of, out of five. Okay, yeah. all right. So this is by Sam. Okay, I watched this first when I was eight years old. There had been a rule imposed in my household restricting me from watching R-rated films. After I deceived my parents in order to watch Speed and Terminator Two, the circumstances were that my dad asked me if I wanted to see an R-rated movie, which of course I did. However, the catch was that he would pick it out. Though not ideal, as my dad picking out the movie kind of squashed the taboo, uh, I was willing to watch anything, R-rated or not. And just the chance to see something with that dreaded label, I figured would get me closer to getting to watch whatever the fuck I wanted to watch. Anyway, (laughs) the films he chose were two of my grandfather's movies, none of which I'd seen up until that point. And when he told me, it kind of took the wind out of seeing something I wasn't supposed to as I was merely going to watch what I had ignorantly figured to be a Western a la Red River, or whatever it was that my grandfather had made, which I still knew very little about, except that he'd been a director, which I thought was cool, but nonetheless doubted their appeal to me. He chose The Wild Bunch and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Wow! I was forever changed after watching those films, uh, and even more so affected when he explained to me that Warren Oates was. In fact playing a version of the man himself, going as far as to wear his signature white jeans and oversized sunglasses. And for some reason at eight, I latched onto this one the most. My mum, Sam's daughter, can't watch this film, as he was so miserable and drug-addled during its conception and subsequent production. However, for anyone interested in understanding Sam Peckinpah, this is one of his three most revealing and personal pictures. The first being Ride the High Country, which was about his father... And the second, my personal favourite, as well as my mum's, being Junior Bonner, which supposedly was his most prideful piece of work, despite its limited recognition by fans and critics. Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, one of the few films he had final cut on, remains his darkest vision and to me feels like the saddest revenge narrative ever put to screen. And though it is not my favourite to rewatch, is probably the one I find most memorable and haunting. So there you go, that's it from me. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) You've stumbled across his grandson's reminiscences of seeing it at eight as well, which is pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's no better time than to talk about the the rumoured deleted scene then. Yeah, do it. So this this rumour goes back to before the internet, although it persists on the internet, and I, I kind of suspect it's not real. But what I had... But I'd heard it before, before I really knew much else about the film, which is that apparently... There was a um, there was a scene in which Oates' character, when he first finds the oh spoilers, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, hopefully, you've all seen it at this point, but there's a definitely a big spoiler. If, if, if you out. haven't, this is a really good cut-off point because you, you've heard that that
1: lovely letterbox review. Yeah. you see everything you need to know, really. Yeah. Go. Well, watch why, why don't we it, do um, a
0: plot su- a little plot summary before we get dive into spoilers? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Go on, then. Okay. Uh, a rich and violently minded uh mexican chap finds out that his daughter has been impregnated by a man called Alfredo Garcia and he puts out a million dollar bounty on his head um word gets via um a couple of hitmen uh word makes its way to Warren Oates who plays Benny uh whose life isn't hasn't really added up to much and uh Benny decides that he's going to uh to claim this money after discovering an interesting fact about the man whose head has such a bounty on it.
1: Yes and no. Yes and no? Yeah, well, he doesn't know about the bounty, does he? They talk about it in the bar. N- no, see, the guys that hire him mm. trick him. Um, no, yeah,
0: you're completely right. He doesn't know, yeah, you're so, right, he doesn't find out about so, the money
1: until later. So it's a kind of a, a key part of it, because, you know, it's it one of the themes which is interesting in such an amazing exploitation picture, is exploitation. Everyone's exploiting someone in this film. Um, yeah, they're all kicking down. Uh, and it's also kind of linked to karma, in that, you know, if you push karma too far, uh, you will get fucked, basically. The, the basics of karma. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, well, uh, not not necessarily. Like, I feel like especially the people that are uh, kind of the villains in this movie, traditionally, certainly in the real world, don't get fucked by karma. They get to get away with stuff. And what's interesting about this film is that kind of everyone gets punished for their transgressions, mm. you know, which kind of makes it incredibly tragic. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I guess certainly narratively, when there's any exploration of karma, people get, everyone gets fucked. But in the real world... The, oh, yeah. the rich douches well that's it you've um, got
0: enough money you're untouchable by karma so
1: spo- exactly exactly and and you know that's kind of yeah that, that's one of the interesting things about the film is that um, you know massive spoilers now Now yeah you know, yeah we're full into spoiler territory um, but he initially doesn't take the money and you think oh Yes, you know, you're going to be all right. You're going to be protected, maybe. But then he goes back and takes it. And then, you know, what happens to him happens to him. There's this brief window where you think that, you know, he's, he's transcended his, um, his moral compromises.
0: But then yeah, and and, yeah, and he finally gives in and karma catches up with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, it, I'm sure you've come across this nugget. Uh, in an earlier draft, it was written that he had survived. Because he, right. he, he didn't, like in the script, Benny didn't always get. Karma didn't catch up with him. Yeah. Uh, he got to take the money. Yeah. Still took the money. It wasn't that he survived and didn't take the money in an earlier draft. It was that he took the money and also got away.
1: But that's. that's in an earlier that's, draft,
0: and Peckham went in and went, actually, no, I'm going to change this. Well, well and that's. I think much of the film's benefit.
1: That's what early
0: drafts are for. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It, it wouldn't have made. It, it wouldn't have been loyal to the sort of the tone and the ideas that had been set up. By the rest of it, if, if he'd have gotten away, um, and I do love that you know, you do have that misdirect, and you do think, oh, he's going to be okay, and it's actually a really good feeling. But now, of course, he's done too much wrong and done too much harm to too many people to, to get away. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of
0: it's an amazing film. I, I really really love it. It is really good. It's definitely one I'll revisit. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it's it's one I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going back to. I really really enjoy um warren oates oh he's amazing um, i mean like not just in this yeah i think course. he's an incredible actor he is Yeah. Um, what, a, what a presence what uh, yeah. a mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah so like obviously he'd he'd worked with peckinpah a bit before uh this is the first time he'd been a lead for him though wasn't it yeah i think so and it's yeah he's just absolutely amazing in it he really really carries it yeah no he really does i think did he
1: um did he have a small role in ride the high country is that right I don't remember I think so um, it's been a long time since I saw that film um, but uh, you know without wanting to actually no it's not in my recommendation so right of My <laughs> like Country it was mentioned in that Letterboxd review and it is uh, an amazing film that's you know not quite as dark as this one but still pretty dark and dealing with some really sort of interesting themes um, yeah a great western and this is kind of a western Yeah. It's like a western
0: there's Yeah, I mean, that's obviously something that Peckinpah was very adept at. Yes. And even in his non-Western narratives, yeah. there are always those kind of tropes creeping in. Yeah, for sure. You always, you know, the, the anti-heroes and the, the living outside of the law kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. The Wild West feel. Absolutely. Yeah, really, really enjoyable film. There's some great extras on the disc as well. There are, yeah. It's a really
1: amazing documentary. Do you have the what edition do you have? Uh,
0: I've got the slipcase edition. So the limited, yeah, the limited yeah, slipcase with the what is with it like ten yeah. hours? Yeah, of, uh, amazing TV stuff. stuff yeah. I did. Uh, I, I obviously I haven't made my way through everything yet. Um, I did sift through. I'm going to get back to this this rumor. I did sift through to see if finally the rumored scene had made it on. Ah, uh, so apparently when he finds m- more spoilers, but you know by this point we've talked about the very ending, so I think yeah, we're exactly. we're clear. Uh, yeah, by the end when he when he finds his girlfriend dead, mm-hmm. he apparently there was a uh, there was a scene where he had sex with her one last time when she was dead, right? Um, before burying her, uh, and this has been talked about. There's been no confirmation of this at all, but like so many things there are enough people out there who swear blind they saw the first cinematic run of it in the states and yeah. that this scene was there I I that it's become I a thing I, like I said I think it probably doesn't exist but no. it's interesting that that it's believable enough to persist and that speaks to the tone of the film <laughs> i we have a lot of a lot of emails to read out we do you do. think maybe we should uh, start and just switch over into recommendations? I, f- I feel like we've uh, we've loved on this film quite a bit in the short time we've been talking.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an essential purchase yeah, for, absolutely. for anyone listening to this podcast.
0: Yeah, it's a great first watch. And yeah, if you've seen have, it again... We
1: have spoiled it quite yeah, significantly by this. Yeah, podcast. I mean, <laughs> yeah, hopefully you'll but, see um, it. But it's such a great disc. And, you know, it's got uh, the 90-minute documentary, uh, Man of Iron, which is so good it's um uh, a lot of talking heads basically not too much um like on set behind the scenes footage but the anecdotes and stories are so evocative um you do feel like you're watching on set um and it's a really kind of balanced honest you know really dark in places Did, did you watch it
0: uh, I haven't seen the documentary yet. Right,
1: okay, so... I did shorter extras. <laughs> yeah, it really uh, sort of goes behind the myth of Peckham and Park and actually really deconstructs it um, and sort of reveals the sort of dark side of the director whilst not tarnishing his legacy. It's quite a sort of delicate balance, it, 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 but it's just an honest representation of a human being So um, rather than myth-making. You kind of see that this guy was was you know a person who had good and bad within him, uh, and you know a lot of darkness, a lot of troubles. But he transcended those elements to create amazing works of art that will be around longer than Dan or I. (laughs) Oh yeah, Um, yeah. No, it's an amazing documentary. What what uh, smaller extras did you watch?
0: There's a. There's a sort of lecture that has um, that's oh, done yeah. over yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of like photographs and and stuff, which is really really nice. Um, I don't remember where it was given, uh, and I haven't got the disc in front of me, but that's very very worth dipping into. Mm. It's, I mean, the thing is, I, I've not seen a print before, so I don't know how fucked it looked when you saw sure. it last. But it looks lovely. Uh, I think it's a really beautiful print now. Mm. So if you've seen it before and you enjoyed it, there's a there's a there's a lot here for you. And uh, obviously, there's a commentary from Stephen Prince, who did um, uh, the book on Peck and Par Savage Cinema. Nice, uh, yeah. As well, yeah. There's loads of, of really good stuff. And obviously, you mentioned Man of Iron, um, which is a little older, but again, sort of like grouped together here, which is fantastic. Uh, and oh yeah, all, obviously uh, Chris Christopherson's songs as well. Yeah, I, I watched those. That was great. That he wrote for him wrote wrote for Peck and Par. Yeah, he he sort of
1: he performs in, in the documentary as well, and um, you know gives a little um, context and talks about Peckinpah's funeral, which is um, very powerful. Even if Man of Iron was like the main disc, and uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia was the extra, it would still be worth getting if you managed to get the limited edition uh, Blu Ray. There is uh, the Man of Iron, the director's cut, which basically has 10 hours of interview footage. It's, it's kind of separated out, so it's not like weaved into the, the narrative. Um, but yeah, it is quite a treasure trove um, for Peck and Par fans. Shall we go to recommendations?
0: Yeah, let's do that. What do you want to do first? Uh, do you wanna go first or shall I go first? No, you go first. Okay, so I had to obviously recommend another Peck and Par. Um, my first choice is Cross of Iron, uh, which is probably the favourite of the Peck and Pars I had already seen. It's his only war movie. It's based on a novel, which is loosely based on a true story. Uh, it's about a new, like sort of young up and coming German in the First World War, who is being honoured, uh, is. Being very respected by his peers, uh, except for one who's very jealous of the success. This sort of Prussian soldier who is uh, who sort of just takes it upon himself to start a rivalry with him. And it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I think it, it wasn't a huge success in America, but uh, it did very, very well in Germany. Um, and it's, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's really, really worth checking out. Great. That sounds very cool. My first recommendation is a
1: film from 1973 called The Long Goodbye, which I believe is available on Arrow Academy. Um, now, this is a Robert Altman film starring Elliot Gould um, as uh, iconic detective Philip Marlowe, and um, I you know, I don't really know why I'm recommending this film, <laughs> because <based on, laughs> it's amazing. Um, mainly because it's amazing, but also, you know, tonally they're very different, but I don't know I just I love Altman so much and I don't know there's just something about um Elliot Gould and Warren Oates have kind of a similar crumpled charisma um especially in in both of these films and um yeah I guess I'll take any excuse to recommend Long Goodbye um yeah so just watch it it's really good you'll be happy you did and it's on Arrow Academy, so a really lovely Blu-ray, just like this one. Unfortunately, because it's Arrow Academy, we can't cover it. We only do Arrow video. But I would like to petition Arrow to let us do... Um, the occasional Arrow Academy film. Think that well, yeah, good. I mean,
0: there's talk, there's sort of rumours about Arrow getting a, a a brother or sister podcast to ours without Arrow Academy. But until that happens, we should plunder their amazing archive as well. Occasionally, I, I mean,
1: seriously, yeah, there's so much um, good stuff. Uh, there, yeah, that's something to uh, to write in about. Would you like us to stick to Arrow video, or would you like us to to delve into Arrow Academy occasionally, occasionally as well? Yeah. Um, because I think that other podcast has been discussed for as long as we've had a podcast, so uh, I don't <laughs> know if it's happening anytime soon. Dan,
0: <laughs> Dan, what's your Next recommendation. Uh, my recommendation, is, second recommendation, is another Warren Oates film. Uh, and This one is a Monty Hellman picture, Two Lane Blacktop from '71. Nice, um, which film. is a gorgeous movie. Uh, it was sort of greenlit as a off the back of Easy Rider, although it's much more. Sort of introspective, and uh, and to gentle than Easy Rider, mm. um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's a it's a road movie. Uh, it's I think it's better than Easy Rider. It's a really really beautiful sort of slice of Americana, traveling America in these uh, in these classic cars. As a side story, I've got an anecdote vaguely relating to it. Um, a friend of ours, Tom Hodge, the artist, uh, dude designs. Was uh, over in the states. I don't really know. Him. Do you not he's know your, Tom? He's your I thought you knew Tom. No. Oh, well, a friend of mine. Tom yeah. was um, was over in the states for a film festival and uh, in LA, or uh, taking some meetings or doing something fancy. But anyway, he uh, he decided that rather than get a hotel, he would um, get an Airbnb um, in you know Burbank or somewhere in LA. Uh and he chose the uh the Airbnb place he was staying at purely because they had a massive two-lane black top poster on the wall in one of the photographs of the apartment. Uh and he got there uh, to collect the keys and it's Monty Hellman's flat. Wow. Monty Hellman is his ing his Burbank Imagine. apartment, uh living elsewhere obviously. And um yeah, there it was it was full of beautiful <laughs> Monty Hellman, Monty Hellman posters. That's great. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's so really good. If you are Airbnb in the uh, upper upper LA area, um, keep an eye out for Hellman posters. If you want to go and stay with the man,
1: I think that's just good advice in general. Like if you if you choose your Airbnb based on the movie posters in the background, I'm sure yeah, you all, me- all will be well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Might, might even get to stay here one day. Maybe not. Uh, maybe avoid places with too many Bookerite posters. Well... <laughs> It's our second know. acrophilia reference in the podcast.
1: <laughs> I mean, looking at the posters behind me...
0: The uh, the I... Yodorovsky posters that I've uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. got up this month. We should talk about that competition. Uh, yes, you, sh- you should. <laughs> we'll do um, that later. We'll do that yes, later.
1: Yes, So, next recommendation from me is The Ballad of Cable Hogue from 1970s. this one you're familiar with, Dan? It is not, There's no. a chance. I know that um, our mutual friend... Giles Edwards loves it and he kind of led me in the direction of it. When was that? Like a couple of years ago? And it's just a, a beautiful movie. It's another Peck and Parr movie. Um, this one starring Jason Robards, um, who makes some incredible contributions to the uh, Man of Iron documentary on the disc, on the Garcia disc. Very different tonally to Garcia, very different, you know, but because it's Peck and Parr, there's still a bit of darkness and sadness and tragedy in there but also a lot of comedy a lot of weird comedy including some kind of quite experimental <laughs> at moments one of which um is a tiny bit Benny Hill another one is <laughs> like this weird little animation um that appears on a on a, a dollar note yeah it's pretty weird in places but um it's also yeah really kind of moving and like it's a, it's a couple of hours long but it flies by it's very fast-paced and um you just kind of love pretty much everyone in it shout out to david warner for, for playing an incredibly quite creepy priest it's, it's, re- it's really <laughs> good um i don't know how how coherent that was but um please do watch the ballad of cable hogue
0: nice on to things from our life
1: yeah, recommendations based on the things we've watched over the past couple of weeks. Dan, what have you been watching?
0: I caught up with an old TV movie from '73 that's been on my list for absolutely ages. And I'll be completely honest, it, uh, it got its way to the top of the pile because it's very short and I didn't have an enormous amount of time. <laughs> uh, as uh, you may have noticed, Sam and I are both a little tired this week. We're both working very hard. Yes. And. Um, uh, this, 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 dear listener.
1: This is what filmmaking does. <laughs> do. <laughs> it, is, it is glorious and, and I wouldn't change a single second of the past um, six or seven months. But uh, I, I personally, as I approach the, the end of the process, um, I, I've now, um, the, the edit is pretty much done. It's off to the sound mix um, and I'm sorting credits and all that kind of thing. And <laughs> as, I, as, as I've reached the end,
0: the exhaustion has started to catch up with me. Dan, yeah. what's your uh, what's you your gonna... excuse? <laughs>
1: uh,
0: three films at once? Uh, yeah, no. When you're bidding on stuff, you uh, you kind of expect about twenty five percent of stuff to actually happen. Every now and then, it all happens. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to weather the storm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've got a got a body. We've had a body out to India for a film that shipped out a while ago. So that one's done and dusted uh we've got the last body for this one over in Belfast going out um uh, tuesday uh which will be being couriered at the same time as I'm driving up to Cardiff for the beginning of the fourth week of shoot on uh ravers which is this sort of mutant movie oh, that we make yeah. making doing hundreds of makeups on oh my God. which absolutely brutal um, I've got a really good staff on that sort of taking care of the day-to-day creature effects like once we've established them they're, they're applying them again and again and again and I just get to go back to the workshop and work on my gags and then turn up and do something particular someone being run through with something or mm. like a transformation makeup so we're doing a lot of um a lot of sort of old school practical mutation oh, makeups, amazing. veins popping under skin, oh, and things it. coming out of the body. Oh, that's really exciting! So, yeah, that's it's it's fun, but goddamn, I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> no. Okay. And I just realised I'm
1: still uh, being vague about my film, um, even though I don't have to be anymore because it's you, happened. Because it's happened, but but also, if you pick up uh, the current issue of SFX, the one with uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on the cover, um, and if you turn to page thirty-two penny dreadfuls column um you'll get to see the first picture from my film and uh the first sort of quotes about it and i reveal that it's called frankenstein's creature so i can say that on the podcast now nice um yeah
0: anyway side note yes i haven't read the magazine i'm afraid side note (laughs) is hitchhikers on the front because there's a new radio series I think so, yeah. I, I just discovered that on the drive to work this morning. I listened to a lot of radio on BBC Player. Absolutely delighted that they're doing almost all of the cast back as well. Sorry, uh, I know this is film, not radio, but... Also, I'm glad
1: that Dan is infinitely more excited about the, the prospect of Hitchhiker's Guide being a It's SFX just the newest... Frankenstein's Creature. It's the newest <laughs> bit of news I've known about Frankenstein's Creature. That's old news. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of old news... Oh yeah, um, right, so, my TV
0: movie. Yeah. So yeah, if um if any of you use Delicious Library or Plex, you can order your films by runtime. <laughs> Which means you can go, okay, well I need something under eighty-seven minutes or you know, whatever, and choose from your unwatched list to uh in in order of something you can definitely fit in before you have to go to that meeting or uh, of course get yeah, yeah. at least three hours of sleep. And I watched Beg, Borrow or Steal, uh from seventy-three, directed by David Lowell Rich. It appealed to me when i first read about it because i thought it might have been inspired by the unholy three the todd browning picture yeah and i There's like two versions, if, if it was it. yeah well they re-recorded it with sound didn't they yeah. Did, uh unholy three i always want to say dirty three which uh, is I'm, like I'm a only, band,
1: but i'm only pointing that out so that
0: um it can be added to the letterbox
1: collection oh yes yeah, so i get
0: both Nick. both of them in yeah, I think it's on. I don't think it's had a proper release on Holy Three. I mean, it's just because all the prints are fucked. Right, uh, it's on YouTube, but it's scratchy as as balls. The, um, the very the, evocative image there. <laughs> the. Um, uh, what's it called? The the Bird? No, not the Stormbird. There's a pub down in Camberwell. That, uh, the Sun and Doves. Sun and Doves in Camberwell. I'm not even really sure it's there anymore. But the Sun and Doves in Camberwell, we used to have a, a film evening, and I first saw The Unholy Three there. Nice. And they basically showed the YouTube version. <laughs> it was, so nice. No, it was really, really hard going. <laughs> it was an amazing film, but it was not exactly high resolution. Anyway, yeah, so a Big Borrow Steel is about three disabled men, uh, a blind guy, uh, a guy with hooks for both hands, uh, and a, a guy with no legs or without the use of his legs uh, who all live together. And they've been sort of like hard done by. Uh, it, it's interesting because they managed to be very dissatisfied with their lot in life and justifiably without coming across as like grumpy misanthropes. But they, uh, yeah, one of them is a security specialist uh, at a museum. And the museum is taking brief ownership of a, a, an amazing work of art, which has an enormous diamond in the front of it, like an old s- statue. Uh, and so they decide to rob the museum. Mm. Uh, and so it's sort of somewhere between The Unholy Three and Rafifi. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and it's, it's, really, it's, it's a really snappy film. It's like 75 minutes. And it, ab- it wastes no time. It is really lean. Um, but it's absolutely delightful. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It That's was a nice. a nice stumble upon. Sounds very good. Very good.
1: Now, my first recommendation is uh, slightly less obscure and you will have ready access to it by the time uh, this podcast goes out. But um, in my capacity as a journalist, I had early access to uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation. Now, early access for me and the UK. It's been out in the States for bloody ages. But now that Paramount have, have, have... Deemed us worthy of being (laughs) thrown the scraps from the table by shoving it onto Netflix instead of um, putting it on the big screen where it belongs. Um, I'm all for Netflix and Shudder and all those kind of things. I love streaming services, but so long as everyone's in on it, (laughs) I feel a little bit like Alex Garland's been a little bit fucked over here. Um, You know, the fact that he can't see his film in his home country on the big screen.
0: Yeah, they don't even care about four-walling, do they? No. They're not even like a token limited run. Exactly. And, you know, this was a a deal, you know... Uh, Anyway, forget
1: all that. Just watch it. Um, Fire up Netflix, watch it now. It'll be available there by the time you listen to this. And, um, you know, if you've got uh, a... If you're lucky enough to have a projector, watch it for the first time on there. Um, because it is uh, uh, an astonishing, beautiful, powerful movie. It's really impacted on a lot of people in the States. Um, I've seen a lot of think pieces about how it's uh, an amazing sort of uh, metaphor for depression. And while I think those themes are in there, um, I think it's a bit more than that, um, and actually think it's more about self-destruction um, than depression. I'm writing a piece for Yahoo along those lines, so um, I'll tweet that at some point, um, which sort of goes into how I feel about it in the ending. So I won't waffle on any more about no it No synopsis now. for us? No, no, I don't think so. Um, you Just know, watch it. Just watch it. It's read on Netflix that, right now. Read the pithy little uh, Don't even Netflix. read that. <laughs> don't even read that. Just fire it up and watch it. It's... Uh, It's a a, a great film and it's either Alex Garland's second film or it's his third film, depending on who you believe in terms of direction. Okay. Did you hear that that came out this week? No. Carl Urban admitted that uh, Alex Garland directed um, Dread. And that's the first time that's been on the record. Wow. Um, So yeah. So uh, no word from Alex Garland yet as to whether or not he wants to claim it. Um, But yeah. There you go. That's very exciting. <laughs> Dan looks absolutely astonished. I've never seen him look <laughs> never seen him look this blown away
0: by a piece of news. Have you not heard the rumour? No, I haven't at all. Ah. That's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I will be reading up about this. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. <laughs> it is yeah, still still very exciting. <laughs> Update, still exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, my second recommendation is an arrow title. It's a documentary. Uh, it's 81 minutes. (laughs) Hooray! Uh, It's The Creeping Garden, which I'd seen before, actually. But um, I got out because I wanted to re-watch some of the footage in it that they used and then ended up watching the whole thing. It's a documentary about slime moulds, which I don't know if that sounds appealing to other people. I was was into it immediately the second I heard about it. Uh, It was released... Well, they made it back in 2004. I think it came out in 2005 uh, on Arrow. Uh, and there's a, an accompanying book as well, which is worth checking out. But it's, um, yeah, it's these sort of not quite plant, not quite animal things, and it's as much a documentary about the people that study them as it is about the the slime miles themselves. Uh, it's made by a couple of directors, Tim Grabham, who I don't know a lot about, and Jasper Sharp, who uh, I sort of vaguely know socially, but who's a, a, a great voice on the sort of London film like event cinema circuit does um, showings and talks and stuff and they put it together i think as sort of a as much as anything a document a documentation of them finding out about this stuff it wasn't like they were both experts in it ahead of time but it's a really nice sort of gentle watch with lots of amazing footage of natural growth spreading across things in time lapse which is what i was after as reference for something uh when i rewatched it but yeah i really like it it's worth definitely worth
1: yeah, Dan, Dan and I watched that together. Yeah, we watched
0: it together the first time, didn't we? the first time. I think I was quite hungover. But, um, yeah,
1: I, it's, uh, it's... a lovely
0: soundtrack as well.
1: Yeah, it's very, very much uh, a Dan Martin movie. It's the quintessential Dan Martin movie, <laughs> I'd say. So I'm glad you recommended it. And I think it probably works kind of a weird kind of double bill with Annihilation, maybe. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. Right, my second recommendation uh, comes from the Glasgow Film Festival. Now, um... I was lucky enough to go to Glasgow, not for the, the whole time, but for a few days, uh, mainly to do some sort of interviews and stuff. I spoke to Lynn Ramsey and Karen Galen and David Tennant and um, lots of other cool people who may well pop up in extra features over the next sort of uh, couple of months. And I saw some great stuff there. Isle of Dogs was fantastic, really enjoyed Good Favor, But I'm going to recommend uh, my favourite film of the festival, which was it wasn't part of um, Fright Fest, but it, it could have been. Um, it was a, a midnight movie um, called Valley of Shadows, which is from 2017. And and this is basically it's a kind of neo fairy tale um, about a, a little boy whose um, big brother has um, kind of let's just say he's gone missing, and you know this boy is stuck with his his mum who's having a hard time and um, he's sort of fallen in with uh, a new friend who his mum doesn't uh, approve of and you know these kids sort of explore this kind of desolate countryside area they go and look at dead stuff on a farm and you know um, but the the brother is kind of um, the, the little, little boy is kind of aching for his brother, basically. Uh, He misses his brother. And then one day, his dog, the little boy's dog, goes off the lead and runs into some dark woods. Um, And the dog doesn't come back. Um, The mother says the dog will come back. The dog doesn't come back. So the film really kind of gets going when the boy uh, goes into the woods to look for his dog. And uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting across just how uh, unique this film is. Um, It might sound sort of traditional, but um, quite a lot of it is silent. And there are just so many images in this film of kind of natural beauty and um, of, of sadness and like just these amazing, amazing wides where you're like, how did they do that? How did they get that? And, and you kind of, you look at it and you think oh you know, this must be like stock footage and I've got a weird sort of, um, I, d- I don't like stock footage basically, I know it's part of you know, modern indie filmmaking but to me it's a bit it feels like a cheat, I know it's not but it feels like a cheat to me and so you think oh this must be stock and then you see something in the image where it's like, oh no it's not, they actually went and got this, that's incredible um, so yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing achievement um, and just Constantly beautiful, very, very, very slow going. So um, it's probably more down the... It's more for, you know, the kind of more art y uh, circuit. But if you love slow, beautiful films with just a touch of horror, uh, then Valley of Shadows. Poetic it, when horror. It, when it poetic... Poetic cinema, as Tarkovsky would say. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. Um, so I'm not sure who's getting it or you know when it's going to be sort of out you know these festival films it's, it's kind of hard to tell but um, I'll shout about it when it actually is out on proper release so that people will have access to it but for now put it on your to watch list
0: yeah I'll check that out definitely that sounds cool. good extra features extra features extra features extra features so obviously we put a shout out on our last recording session which was two episodes ago um, in real world time for emails, we were complaining that we hadn't had enough response to the email we invariably forget to say or get wrong. And you guys responded amazingly. We've, had, we've been inundated with some lovely, lovely uh, messages. Really kind words. So we're going to read those out. Uh, I think we're probably going to have to split them between this episode yeah, and the next I episode, which so. we're going to record straight after this one, just because uh, otherwise we're oh. going to run a little long. So if we haven't acknowledged your email in this episode, it doesn't mean we didn't read it, and it doesn't mean we weren't incredibly grateful.
1: It, it just means that it'll be in the next episode, basically. Exactly. And we've also sort of trimmed them down a bit, uh, just for time reasons. But Cliff notes. We've, we've obviously read every word and appreciated every word. So I'm going to start with David Hooker from Massachusetts in the United States of the US of America which is, uh, is kind of, it's very cool that people in the States
0: are listening to this podcast. Internationally acclaimed podcast. Yeah, it's, it's very cool.
1: Okay, so David says, uh, Like both of you, I'm a huge cinephile watching films across different time periods, countries and genres. As a result, I've been asked to recommend films to lots of different people. However, I often receive the most resistance from both arthouse fans and genre fans. Art House fans will be sceptical of genre films like Blood and Black Lace or John Carpenter's The Thing for being gore porn, despite being masterfully crafted films. Whereas genre fans will refuse to watch arty films like Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive or Tarkovsky's Stalker for being too long, i.e. boring and esoteric, despite containing an obvious sense of horror. Uh, in addition, both fan bases seem to use the term psychological thriller for films like Jaws, Silence of the Lambs and Misery in order to distance it from horror, either to give them more cinematic credibility or because they were too popular to be proper horror films. What do you guys think of this? What films would either of you recommend? Either Camp to Bridges Gap. Uh, what are your thoughts on this use of psychological thriller? That is an amazing question, David. It's have, two amazing
0: questions. I have
1: I have lots of thoughts about this. Yeah, we
0: could run out all of extra features on this one alone. <laughs> yeah, no, we really could. Um,
1: what do you want to tackle first, bridge films or
0: genre division?
1: Um, I'm I, I think maybe genre division because I have uh, some relevant recent thoughts about this. You and I have had arguments about this in the past, so well, one of the things that now. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) That scraping you heard was the soapbox. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I really, really, really liked Get Out. And I was really, really, really excited to see it win uh, Best Original Screenplay. That's, That's fantastic. What I haven't been as much of a fan of is that someone somewhere... Well, or maybe he came to this decision himself, but I feel like this is the sort of thing that someone somewhere has said... Um, to Jordan Peele you can't call Get Out a horror film if you want to win an Oscar you have to call it a thriller because he's constantly referred to it as a thriller even in there was like this Hollywood Reporter Roundtable and um, he started to say how much he loves um, or or why he loves the horror genre right and he said caught himself and said thriller but the point he went on to make doesn't apply to the thriller genre it only applies to horror he was talking about how um, you know, um, thrillers, quote-unquote, um, push boundaries and, and, and all the rest of it that only applies to horror and not thriller. So um, he knows it's a horror film, we know it's a horror film, and, you know, this, this kind of snobbery around um, horror bothers me.
0: I don't think it's either. What do you think it's it is? a sci-fi. Right, OK. <laughs> Why do you think that, Dan? I mean, it's science, science fiction. You can't actually transplant Psyche into another human body. That's classic sci-fi. So... Um, I mean, it's sci-fi horror in the same way that Alien is a sci-fi horror. But it's, the story turns on a, a piece of science fiction.
1: Cool. So um, <laughs> do you define Night of the Living Dead as science fiction?
0: No, Night of the Living Dead is a horror film.
1: And um, what's different?
0: Uh, Night of the Living Dead is supernatural. Uh, it's not, though. Yeah, it is.
1: No, it's based on
0: a... It's a dead man coming back from the grave after being burnt alive for fucking kids. As a result of um, radiation... Hang on,
1: you you, you just said... No-
0: what are we talking about? Oh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, sorry, I'm so tired. I heard Night on Elm Street. Right, back up, back, back up, back up. Back okay, go, okay. go. Ask me again. Ask okay. ask me again. <laughs> I can't remember. How did I go into it? Uh, do you think Night of the Living Dead is a, science- is a science fiction? Or what genre would you call... uh Yeah.
1: Actually, just re- re- respond to it. Just respond like I've asked a question. Oh yeah, that's that works. Like that, yeah, that yeah. works.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a hard one. Uh, it's science fiction horror, I guess. Yeah, I go with that. I think it's interesting. I th- so the thing is, and and so I have a massive caveat to what I'm about to say, and I'm going to say it at the end because I want to get through it sounding serious before I say my caveat. I, so I, don't I, let me.
1: Before we move on, I would just like it, you know, make sure that everyone listening to this is aware that Dan thinks that Night Living Dead is a science fiction.
0: Horror. Horror. horror,
1: not a horror science fiction.
0: Science fiction Well, no, no, horror. but nothing's ever horror science fiction. There aren't horror science fiction films. There are science fiction horrors. Like, you don't get... Like, there are dominant and passive genres. And, and Baron, please wait for the caveat before you react to any of this. But um, there are dominant genres and there are secondary genres. You've got your pure genres and your sub tiers, And uh, horror is a sub-classification. Th- a, ho- a thriller can be a horror a horror tends not to be a thriller because a horror is supernatural by, in nature. Um, science fiction can be horror as well, but has to have its events justified by artificial science in the narrative. So, so, for, so when so you have a horror film... What's Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a, a, like a, a thriller, a horrific thriller. Yeah, I, we we disagree on this. Do you want one. my caveat? Yeah, please. It, doesn't, it really doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like, none of this matters at all. The thing is, you like what you like, and, like, if you need to twist your language a little bit to convince someone to watch Driller Killer, which is one of the greatest art house horror films ever made then, you know, just don't show them the fucking title card or the cover because Driller Killer is exactly, and this takes us to the other half of the question, I guess, Driller Killer is the the one that immediately came to mind reading this email because I feel like Driller Killer missed out on a massive audience that would have loved it because of the exploitation title. Like, it's an amazing, like, punk, gr- grimy punk art house horror film. I mean, for, for me personally... And, it, and it's not violent enough to appease a lot of actual horror fans as well. So, like, it sort of sits in this weird middle ground. For me personally,
1: I, I just think that I I've, I've never really agreed with that whole you know uh, has to have supernatural in it to be a, a horror film. This is one of the things that me and Dan ha- have argued about many times. <laughs> I feel like you know you know it, to call Texas Chainsaw Massacre a thriller with a subclause of horror, so a pass almost you know it's almost passive, um, whereas the the atmosphere and the tone and you know the just intensity of that film overwhelms and envelops everything else. It doesn't matter if it's got a ghost in it or not. it's a horror film. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've I, you know we, we, we differ on that,
0: but so what, this, would you, this is, this what is, film <laughs> would you use to win over an arthouse lover? because now that, that's the thing. You get arthouse horror. And that's kind of what the majority I, actua- I, so, I would actually say Texas Chainsaw. Um, Do you notice how Toby wasn't included in the sort of the honors honourable mentions at I, the Academy? I did notice. Fucking sickening. Um, but yeah, no,
1: I'd I'd say, you know, Texas Chainsaw because um, it has such uh, the name alone conjures such a reputation. Where actually I think if if people, you know, uh, uh, snobby people were actually forced to sit down and watch it, A, they'd see that actually there's not any sort of blood and guts in it, it's it's all intensity. And it's just so beautifully put together um, and there's so many sort of... uh, arthouse esque shots in
0: it. It's a psychological horror. <laughs> oh,
1: here we go. Here we go. <laughs> He's
0: had a chance to think. It's a psychological thriller horror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ, it's a horror film. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a horror film. Not only that, one it's of the greatest it's, it's ever it, made. It is, if not one of the, then a, if not actually the, then definitely one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah, but that's it. Like you know, call it what the fuck you want. It's an amazing film. Doesn't matter what the genre. What, what genre division you put on it yeah that's
1: true and actually in that spirit um, I'm sorry Jordan Peel you can call Get Out What You Want as, as long as you make more films um, because
0: yeah, well that's it you know yeah. like if he needs to call it a thriller to get it, it to the Oscars to get it that wider audience this is what I'm saying exactly that yeah, yeah. who cares um, so
1: yeah okay that was a pretty good discussion of it one, was. one letter yeah we're <laughs> yeah
0: uh, should we do another one? Yeah, another and, one. and
1: also um, for the genre fans who uh, are snobby about art house, uh, make them watch Andre Rublev. It serves them right. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greatest films ever made, if not the greatest. Nice, right? But it is three and a half hours long.
0: So, uh, the next email uh, we received was from R J Tugas, uh, who's over in Canada. He uh, he said he he felt for us. When we complained about a lack of emails, he, uh, he he felt like it was his duty to to jump on board. So, uh, Very kind. thank you for responding to our, our call to action. He runs a blog that I enjoy regularly, so it's really nice to know that um, that there's that sort of little cultural exchange going on. Yeah, it's I, I didn't. A great one. I don't think I realised it was a Canadian blog. But um, Make Mine Criterion yeah. is the name of his blog. It's well worth checking out. He uh, sort of imagines how. Uh, underappreciated movies would be treated by Criterion, uh, were Criterion to pick them up, and he does sort of cover art to indicate it and stuff. Which I don't know if you remember this, but when uh, inspired by his blog, when uh, we when I was working on a field in England, I made a Criterion film in England cover. As well, <laughs> just just for myself for right, my amusement. So yeah, so he said, sorry. You should send it to him. So yeah, I will. I will. Um, RJ, I will. I will um, get that sent to you somehow if I can find it. I think it's on an old laptop. Uh, He said, uh, I also enjoy stories about film festivals and screenings. I make it to London once or twice a year. Part of my time is spent uh, talking insurance to people and the rest is spent going to the British Film Institute, FOP, Gosh Comics and seeing movies unlikely to play back home. I went to the Prince Charles for the first time on a visit to see High Rise. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Last time I was there and I fell in love with the Curzon Aldgate, which was close to his hotel. I expect to be back in April. So do we have any suggestions on where he should go or what he should see when he is next in town? Hmm. Um, So yeah, a little tour guide of London for a fellow cineast. You
1: got Uh, anything jump to? I I would suggest going to see uh, something on general release at the Picture House Central. Um, It's... You know, you've already been to the Prince Charles Cinema, which is, I think, my favourite cinema in London, but um, very close behind it is the Pitch House Central. Um, It's just a really lovely space, beautiful screens, and, um, yeah, everyone there loves movies. Um, It's a bit pricey, but... um
0: yeah so that's, it's a
1: it's a lovely cinema that's london for you and it's worth it it's a really nice place to to spend the day
0: um i don't know when you're in town uh specifically uh obviously you said April, but it's worth checking out uh what's going on at the horse hospital, which is a tiny little venue, but it is home to the miskatonic um, institute uh, which is a a series of lectures I mentioned earlier um Jasper Sharp, who co directed Creeping Garden. I saw him give a fantastic uh, talk there a little while ago about the lost uh, lost films of Japan. It's co run by Kayla Janice, who we've uh, mentioned before on the podcast, um, who is uh, who just did her Jean Roland book, or has just successfully kickstarted her Jean Roland book. And it, she has been joined on the staff by uh, Josh uh Seiko who runs cigarette burns as well. So they've got a really good lineup that's going at the moment. Two of the coolest people yeah. on the planet. Effortlessly cool people. Yeah. Um so yeah, they've uh, they've got their new season running at the moment. So if they have if you're here when they have anything on, it's an absolute treat. And it's um and a fellow Canadian as well in, in Kano. Yeah, as well um but yeah no it's really worth checking out and it's it's something that will never be elsewhere so unlike some films that maybe you'll be able to get even if it's not on the big screen maybe a disc these are talks that will just never be anywhere else so they're really worth checking out yeah
1: yeah and occasionally they sell books there and yeah Yeah. it's 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 great
0: that's where i got my book of creeping garden ah nice
1: right next letter uh is from james rodriguez uh, who says, It's almost been a week since I viewed Brian Yusner's 1989 film Society. I cannot stop thinking about what I've witnessed. The batshit final half hour makes everything that came before it utterly worth it. And I asked the two of you to please talk about it. I'm interested to hear you both discussed it, as well as curious about recommendations similar to this film. Now... Thank you, James. That's lovely. That's great. We will not do it now because I I feel like we're going to devote an episode. Yeah, let's do a whole
0: episode on society. And let's let's dedicate
1: it to James either now or then.
0: Well, but let's dedicate it to James now in now. case we forget to do it then. This is what because I was we're both crap and, and tired. So tired. All the time. But, but James,
1: honestly, um, yeah, when that episode goes up, it's for you, and we will go into great depth about society and how it relates to Donald Trump. My theory, <laughs>
0: uh, I, and I will officially pitch my sequel. Amazing, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll do that soon as well. so, so yeah, thank you, James. What have you got down? Um, do you not want to talk about Brian at all, or should we save all that for them? Save it. So save then, I I think we've we may have hit a time limit, and we might need to we might need to start wrapping it up. Don't think we have. I think we've got time for one more, and then we can split them equally. Oh, you one more? Okay. So the uh, last email we're going to have time for this week, uh, this fortnight, before we uh, before we have to break off is from Chris Tharin, I really hope I've pronounced that correctly, he says he's just finished watching uh, Death Walks in High Heels in preparation for the next podcast, obviously we recorded Hellraiser and Death Walks in High Heels back to back, he said he really enjoyed the film, what a, he says what a fun film, The Inspector was great, easily his favourite character in a giallo, uh, it felt like the subtle humour throughout the film was a nice touch and talk about an ending frame, which I, I love that last frame there. Oh that's not a spoiler the last frame is it the two police officers looking longingly at each other across the uh across the shop is fantastic and then he goes on to acknowledge uh, I could have done without the blackface scene yikes we 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 all could chris i'm with you there um, we had we had a great tweet uh relating to that as well someone who had just heard the uh the the jazz singer joke. Very, very quickly before oh, we yeah go, go. On to that i i have to uh
1: be specific because he didn't say easily my favorite character in a jalo, he said in this jalo, and I feel like that, yeah. that's quite a, a difference for poor Chris. And just in case, you know, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But fair yeah, tell enough. us about this tweet.
0: So it was from at uh, senvi c70 c e v n i, uh, and he'd simply said the jazz singer. Absolutely lost it at that moment, well played. And I said, I was glad he enjoyed the podcast, and he said uh, it was great cracking this bad boy out for another watch, followed by Quantum of Solace. So what a double bill. Death walks in high heels and Quantum of Solace. Uh, Questionable race relations from the Italians, and then a sort of peculiar uh, (laughs) post-colonialist violence fest from the British-American hybrid that is the Bond Empire. (laughs) <laughs> yes, indeed.
1: And uh, shout out to my stepdad, Kuzven, who is a professor of post-colonialism oh, uh, wow. and, and raised me to understand that blackface is a bad thing.
0: <laughs> I know it's a bad thing! <laughs> um,
1: so uh, so that's the end of Letters. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in and we'll be reading out more next week. So if you didn't hear your letter read out, it will go up. Um, in a couple of weeks, um, on the next episode, which will be Blade of the Immortal, Blade of the Immortal, Takeshi Miko, Yeah, so very excited about that one. Before
0: we go, we've got a couple of things. Dan's competition. Uh, yeah, so the the poster competition. I I. <sighs> I'm sh- I'm both pleased someone got it because I would have felt bad if no one had got it and I'm slightly disappointed someone got it so early because I thought I was being much more cryptic than I evidently was but uh I'm also flattered I guess that we have such detective cineast detective listeners so um Anthony uh on Twitter at @horrorstalker66 um absolutely smashed it with the podcast clue and one follow up one follow up two follow ups he uh correctly uh, guessed that the trilogy of films, uh, all within the same genre, uh, that is surrealist cinema, and all directed by the same director, that is Alejandro Jodorowsky, two of which starred, or at least heavily featured the director, and two of which featured the director's then-wife, were Fandom Unless, El Topo, and Holy Mountain. Um, so he receives a, uh, a fiberglass cast from the Dick Smith Life cast of Marlon Brando, which Dick Smith did for the uh, for the Godfather, and ended up not using because Marlon didn't want all the prosthetics. So sure. they used old age stipple and cotton for the uh, for the end scene when you cut yeah. to him being all old. Uh, he was originally going to be in in sort of Dick Smith makeup.
1: And we will do another competition uh, on a future episode, possibly next week. Who knows? We'll do but, a
0: small um, one
1: next week, small one next time. But for now. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. And we promise, we won't promise not to be tired, but we promise to be more professional next time. We promise. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.